It goes back to how we've set up our society. We set up our society at a time when women did not have voting rights and things were created for men. They were created to support men. They were created to support men's careers. Does talking about your money make you cringe? Are you tired of fighting about finances? Do you want to stop sabotaging your financial happiness? Then you are in the right place. Welcome to Breaking Money Silence, a podcast series aimed at helping all of us talk more openly about money. Your host, Kathleen Burns Kingsbury, is a wealth psychology expert who is doing what she does best, speaking about taboo topics. International speaker, author, and founder of KBK Wealth Connection, Kathleen understands money and our relationship with it. Over the past decade, she has empowered thousands of people to break money silence at home and at work. Now, here is Kathleen. I am very excited to have Janine Rogan on the Breaking Money Silence podcast today. She is the author of a new book called The Pink Tax, Dismantling a Financial System Designed to Keep Women Broke. And of course, if you follow the show and know what my passions are, you know why I'm so excited about this book. Janine is the founder of the Wealth Building Academy. She's an award-winning CPA, and she's on a mission to educate and empower women to confidently and profitably grow their wealth through financial feminism, which is financial equality for all. Again, she just published her first book. I believe it was in May. And in the book, she explores the hidden ways that women are held back in our society from overpriced women-themed items to the motherhood penalty. And I'm so happy for her that it came out and it was number one on Amazon for Feminist Theories Books. Welcome, Janine, to the podcast and congratulations on publishing the book. Thank you. And thank you for having me. I'm really excited for this conversation today. Yeah, me too. I, I just love that you were able to explore this topic in such detail and put it all under one book cover. That I think is just such a gift to the field and is going to help so many women. But before we get into anything too deeply around what the pink tax is, tell me a little bit about why you wrote the book and, and why you dedicated over two years of your life uh, to this topic. Yeah, so I've been in the personal finance space for a little over 12 years now, which kind of makes me feel old. But, you know, originally when I kind of got into the personal finance space, I was also doing my designation for my um, my accounting designation. And I was really finding that people, even in the CPA program, were being taught how to manage business finances. And I was filing some of the biggest tax returns and auditing some of the biggest companies here in Canada. But nobody was teaching us how to actually invest for ourselves and build our own wealth. And I thought that that was really odd. Um, so that's originally kind of what got me involved in the personal finance space and, and learning to invest and build my wealth. And then uh, probably about four or five years ago, the what we were hearing in terms of personal finance advice to women was the reason you don't have money is because you buy expensive shoes or lattes every day or avocado toast is the reason that millennials can't buy houses. And I just, I really felt that that was not actually the case. And so I wanted to dive into the research and actually find out what was impacting women's ability to build wealth and how we look at closing the gender wage gap. And uh, the book is a culmination of all of that research over probably half a decade. 
Ooh, half a decade. So you you really did a deep dive. Now, one of the things that I just have to comment on, and, and I think it's generational. So you were told that you can't have avocado on your toast. I know I was told that I, if I just didn't have a cup of coffee and I made coffee at home, somehow I would acquire wealth. And I'm an yeah. older, older Gen Xer. And so what is interesting to me, and certainly what a lot of the work that I've done over the past 15 years has been, is really educating advisors, financial advisors and related professionals on how to communicate more effectively and empower women. And one of the things that always kind of irks me is when they blame the client for like somehow it's the client's fault, as opposed to maybe the industry hasn't done a really great job of educating the women in the way in which they need to be educated. Yeah, I have a real big problem with that. And I think especially because women were left out of the financial conversation for so long, it's no wonder that they are maybe a little bit more hesitant to get involved with their finances. It was sorry, mom, if you're listening to this, but it was in my mom's generation. Like she was alive when women couldn't open bank accounts. You know, that was the 1960s. And it really hasn't been that long that women have even been able to be part of this conversation. So when we're looking at the starting point for men versus women, it's so much farther back for women. We have like, we have to bridge that gap to even get them to the point where they are comfortable with asking questions and being involved. And that really, I, I would say for advisors too, that's, you know, that's the first step. Absolutely. And I think to, to jump off that point, women have had less practice, but also the financial services industry was created by men for men. And while that shifting and changing, and because I've been doing this so long, talk about feeling old, it's shifting and changing at a snail's pace. So mm -hmm. I really think that your book is going to be really helpful. So let's get into what the pink tax is, because not everybody knows that is listening to the podcast today. So tell our listeners what it is, how you define it, and maybe give us a couple of examples so we can understand what you mean. Absolutely. So the original kind of definition of the pink tax was coined in the 70s, and it talked about the price discrepancy between men and, men's and women's products. So if you walk into a grocery store or a pharmacy or, or what have you, um, and you go look at razors, the men's razor is going to cost less than the women's razor, and even if they're the same brand. And really the only difference is the color. And then when we look at things like shampoo or, or lotions and we compare those types of products, we what we find often is a price discrepancy, but also sometimes if they're the same price, the women's product has less volume in it. So it's smaller. And you know, that extends everywhere from you know those those products that we find in our drugstores to kids' helmets, pink helmets typically cost more than the blue helmet for little kids. We see it everywhere in our society. And so, you know, that is kind of initially what the pink tax was was coined as. Where I go with it in the book, obviously we include a little bit around that, but I think to your point, there's so much systematic work that we need to do that also impacts women's bank accounts. So if we look at things from the wage gap with which we know it exists. Women are paid less than men. Um, then they're hit with the pink tax where they're paying more for things. 
and then they don't have the ability to save and invest as much. So there is a wealth gap. And when we look at kind of all of the the pieces of the system that uphold that, what we really do find is women are at a disadvantage and have to pay more for things. So everything from maybe them having less access to credit and that leading to a lower credit score, which leads to a higher interest rate on your mortgage and you're paying more interest. There are so many examples of how we hinder women in terms of their ability to build wealth. And then of course, um, taking that one step further, any level of intersectionality you add, uh, whether that's if you're an LGBTQ2S plus person, a woman of color, there's just even more systematic barriers that stop you from building wealth in the same way that a white man might. And what is interesting is you are located in Canada. I am in the U.S., but I feel like this the many issues that you discuss, because I've worked with Canadian banks as well, are very similar, that it doesn't really change from country to country. Would you agree? Yeah, I think, you know, Canada and the U.S. are very similar in maybe that area. I would say when we start to look at some of the gender quality policies in some of the European countries, that's where we start to see a little bit of a difference, but they're still facing the same challenges. Um, But Iceland is a really good example. They're number one again this year in terms of closing the gender wage gap. They still have work to do, but they're the closest uh, country in doing that simply because they have policies around that. So I definitely think both Canada and the US could uh, do a better job when it comes to policy. And they're very similar, I would say, other than probably maternity leave. I was going to say, it's very different in Canada than it is in the US. We just throw people back to work in a week or we don't pay them and you give them a year off. So (laughs) we actually give up to 18 months now. Oh, wow. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. I can remember first learning about that, thinking, wow, that is so cool and so different. Doesn't mean that it isn't challenging and a challenging period for a career woman who's having a baby, but to have that kind of support, or at least the idea that this is a really valuable time in a a mother and a child's life is is really nice that they have those policies. So quickly, just to go back to the pink tax before we move forward in terms of other other things like wage gap, I can remember before I moved out of Boston, I used to live outside of Boston, maybe about, I don't know, 10 years ago. And I had a good relationship with my dry cleaner because in the big city, I used to actually use a dry cleaner. And in Vermont, I certainly do not. But I would go into the dry cleaner on a regular basis. And one of the ways in which you can see the pink tax is in just dry cleaning a woman's shirt yes. versus a man's shirt. And it's huge. It's like men, I think it was like, it's a long time ago, but it was like a buck 25. And for me, it would be like 450. And so I looked at my dry cleaner and I said, why is that? I just wanted you know, to know why. I, it, he laughed and he tried to explain it to me. And the only thing he could come up with was the machines for dry cleaning a man's shirt. Like they were created to dry clean a man's shirt. So it was cheaper because with a woman's shirt, we had to do it differently. And I thought to myself, I said, well, why don't we just get and create another machine? Like it never made sense to me. So do you have any sense, Janine, as to why this is? I mean, we're not going to necessarily solve it, but why is it that women are so discriminated against in these variety of areas? You know, it goes back to how we've set up our society. We set up our society at a time when women did not have voting rights and things were created for men. They were created to support men. They were created to support men's careers. It's funny you say the the dry cleaning. Um, I've read other examples of, and I guess, Ultimately, this is kind of a pink tax, but when we look at um, medical 
research and seatbelts is actually a really good one as well. Um, A seatbelt was designed to stop like and help a man. So someone who is built like a man where their center of gravity is a lot different than women's as well as their height is usually a bit different. So women face more injury when it comes to car accidents. And that ultimately would lead to time off work, less money, et cetera, um, as well as obviously like continuing ailments and maybe needing to pay for um, physiotherapy there. So when we look at how we set up our system, the, the patriarchy set it up to support themselves in terms of their ability to earn money and and exist in that society. So when we look at even unpaid labor does not contribute to GDP. And that is a really interesting thought to have when it comes to, you know, women taking care of children or elderly people in their family, like none of those things uh, contribute to our GDP. And so that ultimately, to me, says, well, that's work that's not as valuable as a man who goes into the office and earns an income. And so I think, you know, it's so systemic and it, it's been so long that it's been that way that a lot of the times it's just like, well, this is the way we've always done things. So, of course, the dry cleaning is going to cost more for the women's shirt than the men's shirt. Yeah. And so that's where we come in and we look at, well, so we need to do something differently. You mentioned how the pink tax also kind of contributes, although it's somewhat different than the gender wage gap. But it's certainly, you take the gender wage gap, the pink tax, the burden of being a mom or the, you know, child care or caregiving burden, you add all of those together and they really do impact women's ability to create wealth and also retire comfortably. So tell us a little bit about how those things come together And is there a way in which we can fight back against that? Yeah, it is complex and multifaceted. And I think that we always have to kind of start from that point because often I think sometimes we're looking for a really simple solution to a problem that has been ingrained in our society for hundreds of years. So I always want to start with with that. And like I mentioned, women earn less than men. So the wage gap exists. There's lots of research to support it. Um, And so women ultimately have less money to begin with, and then they're paying more for things, which ultimately leads to them having less disposable income, less ability to save and invest and build their wealth. And that's where we where we see the wealth gap. White women have just 30% of the worldwide wealth and women of color, it's just 2%. So there's a huge gap when we look at, at that and, and from that perspective. And then we know women live longer than men. So they're hit like at every stage of their life. And that's, you know, not even taking into account the fact that if they have a baby and take time away, they're impacted with the motherhood penalty or they're passed over for a promotion because they're on mat leave. You know, it's just, it's at every level, it's at every stage of a woman's life. And then we know that women live longer than men, so they are going to need more money to retire than their male counterparts. And we're just not setting women up for success to do that. What is also interesting is that as this great wealth transfer occurs and more wealth goes to women and more women are creating wealth in their own right, I think it's a reckoning. You know, I think the timing of your book is really good because it's it's no longer just the men who are controlling the wealth. I, I really feel like we're kind of at this tipping point. But speaking of men, this is a women's issue, but it's also a human issue. So how are men influenced by this pink tax and these things that we're talking about? And And more importantly, as allies, what action can they take to start to chip away at this? 
Absolutely. And such a good question because men absolutely need to be involved in this. We won't solve this problem without having everybody at the table. I think one of the biggest things we see is men have the burden or feel the burden in society to be in charge of of earning income. And and a lot of their self-worth is tied to how much they earn and if they can be a provider for their family. And we see a lot of men actually go into quite severe depression if they're laid off from a job or they lose their job because their entire identity is wrapped in that. And I'm not saying that doesn't happen to women. It's just more likely to happen to men. And then because of this, often they're not involved as much in their their children's life. And we know that it's really great for children to have both parents involved and obviously taking some of that mental load off of women as well. And men are happier when they're more involved in their children's life. And, you know, if we don't bring down some of these systems and change some of the the biases that we have, men are not going to feel like they have the ability to take time off, to take that paternity leave um, for an extended period of time. And and we know that it's a net benefit for society if if both parents are allowed to do that. And so I think when it comes to men, um, if you're listening to this, I would say number one is make sure you're having the, the conversations around money with the women in your life. And I would even take that a step further and be and say, be transparent with what you're making. Um, I think so often, and I've faced this personally, we don't necessarily know how much a man in our in our same role is making. And so to share that information, knowledge is is absolutely power. But then the other piece of it is if you're in a decision-making capacity, set up policies, set up programs that support parents and and lead by example. So if you set up five weeks of paternity, paid paternity leave for dads as the leader, make sure that you are taking that and set an example so that other men feel that they're not going to be judged or hindered in their career if they take that, that time off. I love those suggestions. I do see a difference with your generation as a millennial and how people are parenting and co-parenting. And when I say co-parenting, it doesn't necessarily mean the divorced and co-parenting. It's like they actually are showing up. And I see uh, more of a, I don't want to say 50-50, but it's getting closer to 50-50 than certainly when I grew up or people my age uh, who were parenting. But I think the other piece that you mentioned is is the role modeling, not just in terms of the parenting, but also role modeling in terms of setting up policies, taking advantage of those policies. I love, I do a whole thing on negotiation. So I absolutely love the salary transparency piece. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, the idea that the solution is up to all of us, no matter how we identify from a gender perspective, uh, in, in order to address both individually what we can do and systematically what we can do. Now, it's a big, huge topic. We've covered a lot in a, in a quick period of time, Janine, so I appreciate that. I'm wondering, and I know there's no simple fix, but I'm wondering if you had to leave the audience with like a tip or two or a thought around this in terms of fighting against it and, mm-hmm. and changing the system, what would it be and why? I'm going to give you more than one answer. And that's, that's okay. Most surprising because I like to chat. <laughs> So I always approach it from the perspective, and I do this in the book as well, from an individual perspective, from a perspective of a leader in your company or your community, and then as a global citizen. So from an individual perspective, as women, we absolutely need to be negotiating, negotiate everything, 
no matter what, you can always ask for a discount. You can always ask for at your, even in your roles at work, you know, maybe another week of vacation, or it doesn't always have to be monetary, but negotiate absolutely everything. And then investing. Investing is so important to building your wealth. There is no, it would be really hard for someone to save you know, a million dollars and and not have that money actually working to earn compound interest or returns in the market um, and get to that point where experts are saying that's how much we need to retire. So, you know, closing the wealth gap is only going to happen through investing and women are more likely to leave their money in cash. So I would say if that's you, absolutely, you need to get started investing as soon as possible because that is really what's going to help us continue to grow our wealth. And we know wealth is power, whether that's power politically, power um, in our uh, relationships, power to be independent and make decisions. It all, um, unfortunately or unfortunately, was designed to, to be money. And then from a corporate perspective, we talked a little bit about that, setting up policies. I would love to see corporations fully top up um, maternity and parental leave and then also provide daycare subsidies or on-site subsidized daycare. I think that is a huge barrier for a lot of women, both in Canada and the U.S. Daycare is really expensive and there's a lot of um, daycare deserts where people can't even access daycare in their community. So having it set up in in your building. Um, and I've seen a couple examples of that here in Canada is, is a game changer. And then from a global perspective, I would say you really do need to critically look at how you're voting and how um, different politicians are going to be impacting women's bank accounts. So, you know, do they have 50-50 or close to uh, that number of women in, in their staffing? How do they talk about women in the media and what policies are they supporting? I'm not here to tell anyone which way to vote, but I do think we need to critically take a look at it because women have been politicized for so long, whether that's in the U.S., obviously, reproductive rights, but also how it was, like I said, only the 60s when women could have bank accounts and it wasn't until the 70s that we could have mortgages. So we do need to look critically at how these policies impact our bank accounts and and, and vote to support policies that um, will continue to, to enhance and, and minimize that gender wage gap. So those are three very good areas to be focusing on. I love that the book is broken down in terms of suggestions for those different, you know, the individual, the leader, uh, the global citizen. And I'm very inspired by your energy and the fact that you and, and people of your generation are going to be kind of carrying the torch and hopefully fixing or get it moving the ball much more forward than we did uh, during my generation. So thank you so much, um, Janine. I've really enjoyed chatting with you. I hope everyone goes out and buys a copy of your book. It's called The Pink Tax, Dismantling a Financial System Designed to Keep Women Broke. So tell us a little bit more about how people can find out more about the book and more about you. I know you speak and you are doing your financial literacy training. So what's the best place to take the next step? Absolutely. I love connecting with people in the community. I am on all of the social medias with the handle at Janine Rogan. So Instagram, TikTok, YouTube, uh, LinkedIn. So always happy to connect with people there. You can find more information about the book at pinktaxbook.com. And then I do uh, a lot of speaking as well as I teach uh, a course around how women can start investing. So if you want to learn more about that, you can head over to the wealthbuildingacademy.com. Excellent. Well, we will put all those links in the show notes. And it was 
So inspirational and so exciting to break money silence with you and celebrate uh, your new book. Congratulations. And, and again, thanks for breaking money silence with me. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to Breaking Money Silence, hosted by Kathleen Burns Kingsbury, a wealth psychology expert, author, and founder of KBK Wealth Connection. If you like what you heard today, be sure to subscribe on iTunes or your favorite podcast app and leave a review. Also, share this episode with your friends and family. It is a great way to get the conversation started. For more money talk tips and information, or to hire Kathleen to speak at your next event, go to www.breakingmoneysilence.com.